0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one third of America's economy. And now, your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio, brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, a seamless rolled ring and open die manufacturer of custom. Quality Forgings for Industry, and our friends at the National Association of Credit Managers, for whom our guest, Dr. Chris Keel, writes the Credit Manager's Index Report we are about to cover. Chris, welcome again to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well,
1: thank you very much. I love the the concept of this being an episode. It makes me feel like, you know, some kind of a TV western star or something. (laughs)
0: Well, put your boots on and Lou and I will get into the credit managers index report with you. What, what's it looking Sounds like? Sounds like
1: a plan. It's looking pretty good. I don't know if we can actually call this a trend, but I'm I'm my standards have lowered, uh, so it's like two months in <laughs> a row is a trend. Um, it's kind of like if we get to three, then I'm just going to be ecstatic. But for the moment, we're we're doing pretty well. It's been the same pattern that we've had really for the last almost two years. Um, The favorable factors, which are things like sales and applications for credit and dollar collections and amount of credit extended, all the things that make credit managers happy, those are all very strong. Those are in the upper 50s. Um, Some of them have even gotten into the 60s. Where we still have issues are with the unfavorables, and those are things like disputes and accounts out for collection and slow pays, bankruptcies, things like that. Those are still, some of them in the 40s, um, some of them in the very low 50s. So it's, it's still that same split where some companies are doing very well and continue to expand and others are kind of struggling. They haven't fallen into complete disarray. We've not seen a big jump in bankruptcies, but Flow pays and disputes are kind of the first warning sign that that things are not not turning out quite as, as they expected. Uh, so we're as we've been for the last several months, the favorite term of an economist, cautiously optimistic. <laughs> we're not we're not going to get too excited, but we're not ready for, you know, jumping off a ledge either. So
0: Right. Right. Chris, you have talked in the past about, you know, when we talk about, oh, it's a good economy, and,
1: and you say, well, it depends, well,
0: it depends where you where are and you what are and you're in. in. Right, the sec- right. Are there any sectors, sectors right now that are, now that are particularly, particularly troubled?
1: You know, it's, it's again been part of a pattern. We have seen a little bit of disarray in like the automotive sector. Um, And it's not that it's really gone bad. It's just that it hasn't grown the way it was. So we've seen a little bit of a flattening out. Now, just recently, we started to see a bit of distress in manufacturing in general. And part of this, I think, is due to the same kind of uncertainty that's affecting everybody else in the economy right now, and that's around tariffs and trade. We sort of know the game by now. We know that the tariff threats are more political than anything else. But on the other hand, you can't dismiss them. You know, the, I'm sure we'll talk about it in more detail as we go, but the threat to impose tariffs on Mexico. Nobody really believed that these were going to be imposed. This was seen as a negotiating tactic and seems to have had The expected response, but you just don't know for sure. You know that you've got the potential for a very disruptive tariff, and everybody has to prepare for it even if they don't think it's going to happen. And that's had an impact on manufacturing. You've seen a little less hiring. You've seen, you saw that today in the jobs report. Um, Manufacturing did not add much in the way of jobs, the economy as a whole didn't add much in the way of jobs. Other sectors that are feeling a little bit of a pinch, probably the most obvious one and the one that has been a real concern all year is the agricultural sector. Um, This is certainly affecting the farmers, but it's affecting everybody that supplies the farmers. So, the manufacturers that make farm equipment, um, the dealers of farm equipment, people that are in the rural areas who depend on farm income, all of them are expecting a really bad year. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't looking really good until the spring and then the floods have just nailed. just I mean, the, the crop expectations are the lowest they've been in, in really decades.
0: Well, it's interesting that you bring up the crop expectations. I have been wondering, because we hear on the news of all of the flooding in the uh, grain belt, uh, just how much of an impact that's going to have, because whatever crops they put in got flooded out and they right. aren't able to put in any new seed. So uh, we're going to have a problem come harvest time.
1: Oh, very definitely. I mean, I live in a very agricultural area. I'm in the middle of the country in Kansas City. And just listening to the commentary about Kansas, in a normal year, you would have had about 80 to 90 percent of the crop planted and basically waiting for it to go. This year, it's less than 20 percent. Um, you've seen the same kind of numbers out of Iowa, out of Nebraska, Missouri. Um, I was driving to a conference yesterday, and even places that weren't really close to a a river or a stream, the fields were were soaked and wet, they looked like lakes, and they were getting more rain uh, the next two or three days. So it just never lets up. Kansas City set an all-time record for rain in May, and it was one of 200 cities that did exactly that. So, yeah, it's going to be tough, and and I don't know that people understand the ripple effect. It certainly affects companies that serve agriculture, but a big part of our export business is agricultural, and we're not going to be in a position to sell that much stuff overseas this year.
0: Um,
1: right. Right.
2: The, uh, excuse me, Tim, I just want to go back to a point that melds with uh, Chris's last comments. You know, the, the concern is, uh, at least by the, uh, the considered moderate uh, uh, progressive, that this uh, uh, tariff situation that we have going on in, and what the Mexicans uh, uh, added to it as a phony tariff for political immigration uh, policies. Uh, the, the point is that uh, there's going to be If they carry all this out, and and you say you felt as though that's not likely to happen, I say there were so many likely not to happen with the administration that we have that I wouldn't bet on against, I would bet on a four. So that being said, uh, if he does implement uh, this system and he doesn't negotiate uh, better, longer, and quicker with China, there's going to be a global effect that will come back around the other side and slap us in the backside
1: because... Well, yeah, yeah it definitely does, and it has already. It has already. Um, yeah, I think absolutely. I, I share your skepticism with particularly China because I think there's there's been a lot of, of promising and a lot of determination around the China tariffs, and, and these are two countries that don't really like each other to begin with. I don't don't think that the Mexican terrorists are going to come off simply because there's too much at stake. You have too many of the president's own party that have turned on him when it comes to this issue. And beyond that, what we're demanding from Mexico is so vague and amorphous that almost anything that they promise in addition to what they're doing now will be sufficient. And I think you saw that yesterday. when the Mexican government said, fine, we're going to send an additional 6,000 policemen and National Guard to the border, and and all of a sudden that was sort of interpreted as, see, we got the Mexicans' attention, they're going to do something about the immigration. It's one of those things where it it it's certainly part of the president's arsenal when it comes to keeping some of these issues in the front page, but... I think that people within his administration understand that this would be a very very poor strategy coming up this close to an election year and, and the fact that some of his key allies have differed with him on, on this subject we may at worst get something where the tariffs are in place for a week or two or maybe a month and then get lifted but I don't even think that's going to happen um, it is as you mentioned, it's political. And unfortunately, our tariff policy for decades has been political. You know, We know that tariffs work. They've worked all over the world. Uh, the classic example always is the Europeans with the common agriculture policy. I mean, the Europeans just flat out state our farms cannot compete with your farms. They never will be able to. They're too small. We do not intend to destroy the rural communities of Europe just to get cheap wheat. So we are going to keep these tariffs in place forever, just take it as it is. And as a result, nobody has to wonder. It's like, hey, these tariffs are never going to go away. Our tariffs tend to be, you know, matters of convenience. It's like, yep, they're in place. Now they're not. Now they are. Now they're not. Now they are. And a company can't plan. I mean, the steel industry has been whipsawed for decades. It's like, we're going to protect you. No, we're not. Now we are. No, we're not. And (laughs) they end up becoming very cynical. They're sort of like, like, okay, you are going to put these tariffs in place. We're going to jack prices up as high as we possibly can because we know in a couple of years you'll reverse course and we'll be at where we were before.
2: (laughs) Uh, It's interesting that you mentioned that – you know, the steel industry in that uh, there are companies that are actually taking advantage uh, marketing-wise in regards to the uh, China tariff. There's one major company, which I I won't use their name, has now started advertising on television uh, and uh, pressing a point that uh, American steel made in America and so on. And uh, the fact that uh, they are advertising, in this one TV for 60-second commercial, they're advertising 10 of their all-branded uh, name of companies that they own in the metal industry. Mm-hmm. And there are about 10 of them. Uh, I, I've never seen a steel company advertise on television. But this, they came up with a terrific idea. People are out there looking and, and struggling to find metal one, because there is a shortage, and two, that find it at a better price than uh, getting slammed with the uh, Washington-China tariff. And uh, it's, I find it very ingenious that they're doing it. We'll see how long they do um, I've seen it for two weeks.
1: Yeah, very definitely. And I think that that's a, a classic example of, Playing to the politics of the situation because they obviously are not advertising on TV to impress a steel buyer. You know, right. somebody that's buying steel is not like, wow, I, it never occurred to me to buy steel until I saw that commercial. Um, <laughs> it's, it's basically convincing the public to say, look, you know, this, this is good for America, it's good for the steel industry. And one can argue that we have neglected the steel industry for 50 60 years and and it is probably a good idea to to offer help protection of some kind or the other the challenge has always been that whenever we do like back in 2002 we offer protection for three or four years then it was lifted and the steel industry invested in the assumption that it would be protected and then all of a sudden the protection was gone and I think it's also a bit disingenuous when the focus is always on China, because we don't buy that much steel from China anymore. That's right. We haven't for years.
2: That's right. You're but the only Europe, one I've heard say that.
1: Yeah, I mean, if they're number thirteen in the list of of importers into the U.S. Right. We get our steel from Canada, number one. Brazil is number two. South Korea is number three, and Mexico is number four all four of those either have exemptions or are getting them within the next few months. So from a protective point of view, the steel industry is coming back and saying, well, how much is this really helping us anyway? Because the top four importers into the U.S. are going to get exemptions or have them already. So, it, And that, again, goes back to the politics. You know, We gave South Korea a break because they signed a deal with us. We like Brazil because they have the person in charge now who they refer to as the tropical Trump. Um, Jair Bolsonaro is a big fan of Trump and vice versa, and uh, magically Brazil gets an exemption. And we're trying to get the new NAFTA put together, and so Mexico and Canada get an exemption. So it's, it, it becomes difficult for the business community to say, are you doing this for economic reasons? Are you doing it for purely political reasons? If it's purely political, one, you may change your mind, but two, what happens if we get a new administration in two years? You know, are all the tariffs gonna go away again? Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just it just God makes it really tough. Time. Yeah
2: it's uh it's an interesting uh, point that you bring up, and uh, uh, I mean the the ripple effect has started, and um, we'll just have to wait and see how this all plays out, Tim.
0: Well, Chris, for uh, ma and Pa Kettle across the United States, all of us who are uh, you know kind of you know living our lives and and uh, wondering what's going on each and every day. I look at prices, the balance of 2019 and 2020. Obviously, we're going to have a crop issue. That's going to affect anything that's made from crops and anything that's fed by crops, including cattle. Uh, I suspect cattle, uh, people may be dumping cattle because they can't feed them. Cattle prices should be going up radically. Uh, How do you view it?
1: Yeah, if you look at the projections, it takes a little while for a crisis in the agricultural sector to work through the economy, and you'll see it really in three stages. The first stage will probably hit this summer, and that's going to, and this is assuming that we have some of these barriers up against Mexico, but even without them, you'll see it with with things like fresh crops, tomatoes, and vegetables, and things like that almost right away. Um, that will show up in the next month or two. By the end of the summer, early fall, you'll start to see it pop up in all kinds of other foods because now you're getting into the soybeans and the corn and the wheat and that sort of thing because the harvest will be poor. Right now they're still well supplied because we put a lot of it in storage last year. Then about eight months from now, right about – Christmas time, meat prices will skyrocket because, as you point out, it's going to be expensive to to feed cattle. What you'll get initially is really, really cheap meat because people will sell off their herds and they don't want to feed them, so they take them to slaughter. Then the prices go up and they stay up because the herds are now thinned. And until the market changes and feed becomes less expensive, they're going to let the herd stay small. So, going into next year, you could see, I mean, the predictions right now are anywhere between 25 and 35% increase in beef, pork, even chicken. Um, so, that, that's going to be one of these slow moving, kind of like floods. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's not <laughs> right. an immediate thing, it just it keeps going up. Um, so, we're going to see commodity prices go up on the food side. We've also started to see oil prices come up a little bit. Um, probably not going to head to the $100 a barrel range, but it wouldn't surprise me if it gets up into the 70s and 80s, and that starts to push pump prices closer to 3 bucks a gallon nationwide. Um, we're beginning to see a little bit of wage inflation. Uh, the latest job numbers came up with, probably around a three and a half percent increase in wages kind of overdue expected this to happen a couple years ago but now it's finally catching up so yeah we're beginning to see all of that inflation that we've been holding off is is starting to loom and it's been a long time since we've dealt with high inflation many of us don't quite know how to do that um but it's it's not fun, um, all of a sudden, your your standard of living takes a hit because you just simply can't afford what you used to be able to afford.
0: Right, right. Yeah. as uh, uh, gas prices at the pump go up, food prices go up, it eats into your regular income, your discretionary income shrinks. Uh, the consumer seventy percent of the economy. It's beginning to look like things are lining up for a recession in 2020.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I would go so far as calling it a recession. I don't think we're going to be hitting that that classic definition of two consecutive quarters of negative growth. But I think we're going to see a downturn. I think we're going to be looking at mediocre numbers. I mean, lately I've been referring to this in my talks as return to mediocrity. Um, we're, we're no longer going gangbusters, <laughs> but we're probably not heading into the doldrums either. It's going to be growth of you know 1.5 to 2%, maybe even getting up to 2.2 or 2.3, which isn't horrible, but compared to 3.2 and 3.5, it'll feel less robust, and that begins to have an impact on things like hiring. You know, we've had very low unemployment rates, almost artificially low, and when you start to get a slowdown, hiring begins to slow, and that rate begins to creep up. I mean, realistically, if we're at 5%, five and a half, six percent 6% of employment, we're doing really well, but it's going to feel awful to people who have been used to 3%, and it's like, oh my God, unemployment's out of control. Well, no, it isn't, but it's not as as exciting and robust as it was, so we're just going to have to get used to. You know, I guess it's like having a football team that was in the Super Bowl last year, and this year they're just ten and six. <laughs> <It's> like, no, <laughs> oh, we're we're not really good anymore. We're not really not really bad, bad, but we're, we're not, not where we, we were. were. Well, to your point, uh,
2: Chris. The uh, Institute of Supply Management's uh, report on business uh, indicated just right along with you uh, in view of the fact that the last two months they have uh, the, the, the index number has receded still at the bottom end of uh, the slower growth. It's not mm-hmm. a robust growth like it was, uh, you know, last year at the end of end of last year. It just uh, turned. Uh, right, and right. I think, uh, as you brought up uh, way earlier in the show, it's all a question of indecision because the people don't, manufacturers don't, the presidents of corporations don't know what's coming and when, but they know something's coming.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. right. And, and I think right. the, the I think issue really, really is, is the last several years, you've had an economy that's fairly forgiving. Uh, companies don't have to make all the right decisions; they can be a little bit risk tolerant. Going into next year, that may start to dissipate, and you're going to have more punishment for bad decisions. If you if you ziggled, you should have zagged. If you accumulate more inventory than you really need, it's going to hurt you more uh, than it would have in the past. And I think that that's, that's a challenge. Companies really haven't had to face for quite a while. I mean, this was an environment where you could experiment and and try things that might not work out. That's probably not going to be as common. Uh, companies are going to be a lot more cautious, keep things a lot closer to the vest, and consumers may be as well. Because as soon as they start to lose confidence and start to worry about unemployment, they start to change their habits. You know, they decide not to go to Disney World this year. They decide not to buy the new car this year. They decide not to move and add to their home. You know, they don't go into abject poverty, but it's all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe I don't need to get that latte today. And as was pointed out earlier, this is just an 80% dependent economy on consumers. And if they all start to get careful, then things begin to slow. And the retailers will feel it, and the people that manufacture for the Before retailers will feel, feel it. it. And then you're sort of back trying to get the consumer excited. And that can sometimes be hard to do.
0: Yes, it's very difficult to market your way out of a downturn. Uh, Chris, one of our contributors to Manufacturing Talk Radio that we always enjoy talking to each month is Norbert Orr. He's with Strategus Research Partners, and he puts out a scattergram that shows the – uh, purchasing Managers Index of various countries around the world. And it's kind of like watching mm-hmm. month to month a flock of starlings and where they're moving. Yeah, exactly. And globally, his flock of starlings seems to be going to the left and down. Uh, how do you see the global economy?
1: Yeah, that's been very true because you've seen Market, which is the marketing company out of Britain that does the Purchasing Managers Index for, I think, 36 countries now and using the same data data techniques that the ISM uses, and they've all been declining. It's been going down in Europe for a while, but it's also now declining in Asia. The global economy is not looking at all healthy. Um, It has been downgraded three times already this year by IMF, by World Bank, by OECD, And that ends up hurting the U.S. because 15 to 20% of our GDP is dependent on exports. We saw improvements in the trade deficit. This came out this week. You know, we had less of a deficit. The bad news is we had less of a deficit because both exports and imports were down. It's just that imports were down a little bit more than exports. So it's like, wow, it's gotten better because we're sick. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it, that, 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 that's not a good thing.
1: Um, it's kind of like, wow, I lost a lot of weight. Why? Because I had the flu for three weeks. Um, it's it's not not the right reason for you know the optimal outcome. And the global economy is is very dependent on two economic engines, the U.S. and China. And as the two of us are locked into these trade wars, it means that the rest of the world. I mean, the old adage that has been used many, many times is that when two elephants fight, it's the mice that suffer. And (laughs) right now, the mice suffer. Well,
0: Well, Chris, we always enjoy you joining us from uh, the National Association of Credit Managers, who you write this brilliant report for. How is the NACM.org seeing things as they look forward?
1: Yeah, they're getting a little bit more skeptical. Um, As you mentioned, the credit manager's index is a look at how the credit manager sees the world. And the credit manager is a unique creature in a lot of respects. First off, they're very forecast-oriented. They really don't care what's happening today. They want to know what's happening when you owe them money. So they've given you 90-day, 120-day terms, and they're like, so. What are you going to be like in three or four months? Um, so they they have a forward-looking orientation anyway. They also tend to be pretty skeptical. You know, their mantra is, it's not a sale, a sale until, until we're paid. paid. So <laughs> right. they become a little bit skeptical of, of promises that companies make, like, oh, we're going to have a great quarter. Oh, we're to, well, you better, better because you better owe you me money. money. Um, As a conservative bunch, they're getting a little bit more worried, and I'm hearing a lot of talk about tightening up credit, not offering the lengthy terms they used to, uh, demanding quite a bit more information from a potential creditor uh, being very reluctant to do business with companies they don't know. So Mm -hmm. that begins to slow things down. And back when we had the 2008-2009 recession, the credit managers were reacting to that several months before the actual downturn. So they tend to be kind of predictive.
0: Ah, yeah, I can understand that. Well, Chris, again, thank you for joining us and sharing your insights on the economy and what's happening with the uh, NACM and the report, which we really appreciate you putting out. Thanks again. You're welcome. welcome. Talk to you guys next month. Thank you, Chris. Have a good month. So, Lou, we look forward to uh, kind of a, a slower, lower, bumpy ride in the Balance of uh, 2019 and 2020, possibly, unless something unusual happens and makes it go north. Which I hope something unusual happens that makes it go north.
2: Well, uh, this was the uh, opinion of one economist. Uh, there are others out there that don't yet see the uh, the rising of the sun that will panic them into uh, riding the herd off the edge of the cliff. <laughs> uh the uh, the uh they're, they're not all that uh, chipper about it so uh and I've been uh, doing a fair amount of uh, uh reviewing that particular topic the last several weeks uh, I've been I've been able to put aside some time uh that uh I, I can do some uh, appropriate uh, sort of research and I'm I'm seeing mixed opinions I'm seeing mixed opinions and uh uh there there's there's things out there in the marketplace that can uh demonstrate the likelihood of either one either recession or no recession
0: right, so. right. well the old the old adage is that if you put all of the economists in the world end to end that they wouldn't reach a conclusion <laughs> that's right <laughs> okay. So I, I think that's about where we are, other than to remind our listeners that this is really the purpose and point of Manufacturing Talk Radio is to bring you information that you can listen to, understand, get some depth on, more than just a quick soundbite on the news, have some research material behind it to refer to, like the National Association of Credit Managers Report, nacm.org. Or the ISM report at instituteforsupplymanagement.org, and a lot of the other documents that we refer to as we show. Or and we'll also, also
2: come to our also come to our website where you can download it as well.
0: Yes, we always attach those particular reports to the episode that we do, so you don't have to go hunting for it and so So we like to have you come and listen listen to an episode with the 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 research research material right right behind it so you can really get a good good feel for it. it. And, Lou, Lou, we're we're developing other shows over on women in manufacturing. Uh, We have Where's Willie on the MTR side. We have Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, which is a terrific show. If any of you have not listened to that, we encourage you to catch a show or two, and I think you're going to be hooked on Cliff Waldman and Manufacturing Matters. And where's Willie is in the offing, uh, uh, Willie Miller is a guy who travels the country talking to manufacturers, boots on the ground, really getting a feel for what they're doing. And he does some great interviews, so we look forward to getting that launched. And that's, I think, kind of a wrap-up of everything we've got going on for Manufacturing Talk Radio for this episode. Oh,
2: I didn't tell you about the other thing? (laughs) Mm, I'll tell you about it Maybe next week
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised There's always uh, hatching new shows That we don't know about But we'll find out about So stay tuned And thank you for listening to this episode Of Manufacturing Talk Radio Thanks for
2: joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio You can hear our next broadcast Each Tuesday at 1pm Eastern Standard Time At mfgtalkradio.com